Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. We're going to spend a little while in Torah study. If you had an opportunity, I sent out a source sheet uh, with the Shabbat bulletin and it begins with a verse from our Parsha. So if you just have a Tanakh, a Bible, or something with you, you're also just welcome to turn to chapter 13, verse 8. And I want to begin with sharing with you why this type of a teaching was on my mind. It has to do with where my head is lately, what I'm doing with a little bit of my Torah Lishma time, my professional development time, and what's been on my brain this past year and this past summer. Um, some of you know this because I've shared a little bit of this on Shabbat mornings and in some of my writing with the congregation. But starting over the course of this past year, I've been doing a lot more time uh, dedicated to my own personal writing skills and writing habits. Over the course of the past year, I had intended over this last summer to actually go to uh, a special writing summit, something called the Iowa Writers Festival. I had plans with a couple of congregants with Mia Pardo, uh, who has an MFA and is a writer herself. Also, um, with the president of our sisterhood, Annie Spar, we had intended all together to go to the Iowa Summer Writers Festival at Iowa University, one of these uh, University of Iowa, which is a, a, a wonderful premier um, experience and opportunity to have writers workshops and 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 work on our own uh, storytelling. Um, Annie's writing a novel, Mia has her own um, kind of exploits into the world of, of writing. And I wanted to work on the world of memoir and personal essay, which um, speaks to what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And uh, then COVID came along, and uh, that became an impossibility. And I was really grateful to some of, uh, well, to my clergy partners, to some of the professional, um, to some of the, the lay leaders in our community, and to Annie and, and Mia, who said, even if you can't go to Iowa, you should find us something because you got so excited about this writing. Here are some ideas for what you can do virtually. So I got enrolled in some extension courses, and I'm in pursuit of a certificate in creative nonfiction at UCLA Extension. So I'm, I'm actually taking courses and I'm in these courses and I have professors. And I'm at UCLA. I'm taking one course a quarter. It's a wonderful challenge. My last course, it was great. It was easy. My professor was fantastic. It was an easygoing group of students. I would say I was like middle to the top edge of the bell curve in terms of Asian experience. And I'm in a course right now and it is wicked hard. Um, and it's a real challenge in terms of learning how to tell my story. And I am being, uh, it's a real red pen uh, to every story that I'm beginning to tell. Okay, so that's all about telling your own story and diving deep into your own story. And this has been on my mind, what is the value of telling your own story and diving deep into your own personal narrative? And that has been on my mind, what is the value and the and the reason for taking the time to dive into telling your own personal narrative. And I'm here to tell you that it's a Jewish value, and it's one that's deeply embedded in the mitzvot of Pesach. And we're going to look today at exactly that. 
So let's start with this verse. Could somebody read for us in the Hebrew, the English, or the both verse uh, 8 from chapter 13? Anyone can just unmute or volunteer to unmute. You can wave at us. Sure, I'll read. Um, and you shall explain to your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I went free from Egypt. Fantastic. And Joanna, we don't know each other so well, so I don't know so much your background in terms of how you would personally translate this verse and how I would translate this verse. But I noticed something in the translation here that they were a bit lazy about the folks who put this translation on Safari, and it's going to become relevant in the second uh, commentary that we're going to look at together. Do you notice something in the vehigatita, which is a verb, and you shall tell to your son, right? And then they didn't say the second verb there, Levin Chach, your son, Bayom Hahu Lemor. You notice that? What's the Lemor business there? Right. What you should, you? you should tell and you should say. So what's the yeah. difference between them? Right. Yeah. What's the difference? Thank you. Okay. All right. So very good. Great. Right. So thank you for going with me on that. We don't, I don't know your background so well, but you've got it, right? They don't, I, I might have added in there saying or something like that. Good. Excellent. Thank you for reading that. And thank you for going there with me for a second. So it's probably a slightly incomplete uh, translation of the verse, but basically something like you should explain it to your son on that day saying it's because of what God did for me when I went free from Egypt. Give me a nod if this is kind of a familiar verse to you, either from the Parsha or from the Pesach Seder, sort of a familiar-ish verse, right? We're feeling like this is part of the Pesach story. Great. Okay. Thank you, Joanna, for reading that for us. Would somebody... So I'm going to set up the Chis Kuni for us a little bit here. So the Chis Kuni is going to tell us the Vehigarita Levincha thing is directly connected to something that we're also, I bet, very familiar with. Now, I'm not going to get too into this here, mostly because we'd run out of time if I got here. But basically, my teacher, Moti Arad, who is a student of a certain school of thought when it comes to dissecting the uh, the uh, layers of Pesachim in the Tosefta and the, um, and the Mishnah parallel doc- this is actually a little controversial, but either parallel or earlier and later documents that precede the Talmud in terms of rabbinic literature, he would say that there are basically geological layers to Pesach, okay? He'd say, there was Pesach, it happened, right? That's the story in the Torah, like Pesach happened. And then later, there's like the geological layer of Pesach where we turn it into a festival where we sacrifice stuff, right? And then later, there's the, there's the geological layer of Pesach where we put where we we put it into this like Greek forum situation, right? Where we're we're all talking about it, and now we basically recreate that last layer. That's what we're doing at the Pesach Seder is we're reenacting that last geological layer. Make sense? So we're we're kind of we're like we're digging into all of those geological layers as we as we. Um, as we go into all of our uh, Pesach rituals each year. So the Chizkudi is going to say that, that, that this is referring to a part of that topmost geological layer, this piece that has to do with the four suns. So can somebody read uh, this piece of the Chizkudi that has to do with one of these, that topmost layer, that piece of the four suns? It's just an English reading. It's not nothing too complex. 
I can read it. Go for it, Marshall. Thank you. Okay. Um, you will tell your son and so forth. The son who is too young to pose the question, you will tell without his having asked, quote, why did God saw fit to make Pharaoh kick out the Jews before their dough had even a chance to be baked into bread? Did he, that is God, not have the power to keep them there until they could at least have taken baked bread with them? Unquote. You will answer the question you have put into the mouth of the the child that is not yet curious, or the one who does not yet know to ask, to formulate his own questions. Quote, in order to make sure that I will observe these commandments involving the Passover sacrifice, the unleavened bread, and the bitter herbs as a commemoration of all the miracles he performed for me when I came out of Egypt. Unquote. Fantastic. All right, Marshall, I have a tough question, and you're welcome to answer it, or you can pass, and I can pass it along to other folks who are here. There are, there's a model of four different children, and there are lots of layers of rabbinic literature that get into what each of them stand for. There's the wicked child and the good child and the one who doesn't know how to act. There, there are different children, right? We have four different children and four different models. They're this the Higarita Levinacha command could have been applied to any of them by the Chizkuni, the Chizkuni or none of them, but the Chizkuni could have applied it to any of them. Why might the Chizkuni have applied this command lehagid etasipur to tell the story uh, to the child in such a way that that you're supposed to prompt the story basically of yourself to the Eno Yodea Lishol. So you were supposed to tell the story by to the child who doesn't even know to prompt you to tell the story. This isn't even a child who can say, tell me a story, Abba, because this is a male-centered uh, formula here. Um, wh- why that child? Do you have an idea? And you can pass on that if you don't. Well, I would think that the word for higarita, which means both to tell, I think also under, I understand it to mean to explain. And therefore, the child itself, while may not, may not be able to answer the question uh, or to raise the question himself, by prompting him and giving him the opportunity, by ex- starting to explain, will allow him to start asking the question, to ask further questions. Very good. So perhaps it's because the Vihigadita is the beginning of a chain of teaching that child to actually tell the story themselves, right? This is a perpetual mitzvah. And so you're teaching them to that this is a thing that we tell and we do. And so you're beginning the telling of the story. And eventually, this is something they themselves will tell, even, mm-hmm. right? It's the beginning of the ownership. That's great. Does anyone else have a theory as to why why he might connect this particular command to this particular model of the child why not that he got it to your to tell the story to your wicked child tell the story to the good child why connect it to the child who doesn't know how to ask gary yeah um i would think this way nobody's embarrassed by not knowing how to ask or anything like this this way it's kind of put down you can have an i you can you can learn you can learn through osmosis how this is happening you don't have to to frame the picture in a certain way. 
Good. I love the theory that every year at Seder, no matter how learned your crowd is, theoretically, there's somebody there who doesn't know the whole story or doesn't remember the whole story. Nobody has to experience any busha, any embarrassment, because you just tell the story to the one who doesn't know how to ask. Gary, that's really close. And since we're short on time, that's very close to what I was going to say, but actually a, a real twist on what I was going to offer as my own reasoning for uh for what I what I think the Chizkuni is thinking. Um, what I think he's thinking here is the beginning of a theory about what this Vehigadita Levincha is all about. And I think the Vehigadita Levincha is all about the that the telling of the story in the mind of the rabbis becomes a mitzvah that has nothing to do with telling the story for the sake of your child, but telling the story to the child for the sake of yourself. I think that the rabbis are are interested in the story being told for the sake of the storyteller and not for the sake of the listener. And I'd like us to look at the next two commentaries. And if we get to it, we'll get to the third one. But I at least want us to get to the next two, the, to the Ora Chaim and then to the Sefer Achinu, to see what I mean by that. That the storytelling is for the sake of the storyteller and not for the sake of the listener. So let's look at the Ora Chaim for just a minute. It's getting very dark in the room that I'm in. This is very exciting and spooky. Okay, here we go. Uh, uh, let's have somebody else read this. This is going to get to the point that Joanna was um, hitting on with me. Thanks for going there with me, Joanna, on the whole Lamor and Lehagid uh, situation there on the two different verbs. The Orachayim is going to pick up on these two different telling verbs in the verse. Can someone read for us in the English, just for time's sake, though the Hebrew is outstanding, so I encourage you to dig into it. Um, will Will someone read for us that Orachayim? Um, Anybody? Jump in on the English. Could be someone who already read or not. If there are no other volunteers, I'll read again. Go for it, Joanna. Let's hear you. Another reason that the Torah had to write the word Lemur in addition to Vihigadita is that the former was addressed to your son. A father of girls or a husband not blessed with children might have concluded that since he had no son, he would be free from the obligation to conduct the annual Seder celebration. The Torah writes Lemur to tell us that even if the person is all alone, he must relate what happened during that night to himself. Seeing that this is so, you may well ask why the Torah had to speak about a father telling his son at all. Perhaps I would have not known that under certain conditions, one must tell oneself the Haggadah shall Pesach unless the Torah had used extra verbiage. Perhaps the Torah hinted that if someone is particular about telling of the Exodus, God will eventually grant him a son to whom he can relate these events. So you could get distracted by that last bit, which is adorable. Um, thanks, you know, maybe you'd eventually get a son that you would tell, tell the story to. Um, but I love, I love what the, what the Orachayim does with this here. It says that extra verb is here to remind us. Remember, rabbinic literature spells out for us in Pesachim and beyond. You don't get out of the Vehigadita Levincha just by waiting until you have kids to tell it to. If you're all alone on Pesach night, you still have to go through the story. You still have to tell it even if you're alone. So there must be something else to it, right? You even have to tell yourself the story, you know, and maybe there's something about your being your own child at heart, that you are somebody's child. Maybe there's something else there. 
for the sake of time, we're going to jump right to the Sefer Achinuch. I would love to encourage somebody else who's going to pick right up on this. This is a later comment. This is an early medieval commentary. It's actually a letter written from father to son as an ethical will. So it's a perfect it is a Vehigata Levinacha in writing. It's uh, probably scribed in Spain, um, and uh, it's a it's a perfect pickup on this um, on this point from Orachaim. So, someone else maybe who hasn't read yet, anyone willing to? There there are two pieces to the Sefer Achinuch. I'll do it. The the commandment to recount the Exodus from Egypt, to tell about the Exodus from Egypt on the night of the fifteenth of Nisan, the first night of Pesach. Each person according to his own power of expression, to laud and to praise God, may he be blessed for all the miracles he performed for us there, as it is stated, and you shall tell your son, although the verse doesn't specify when this should be done, the sages, um, oh, hang on, the sages, uh, I think mine got cut off. but That's okay. Have uh, already explained. And that already explained, and that, and then I, mine picks up with, and that which the verse states, and quote, and I will tell, and I shall tell you your son, close quote, does not mean exclusively one son, but rather even with any creature. Yes, that's fine. You skipped over the boring part. It's all good. And that which the verse states, and you shall tell your son, does not mean exclusively one son, but rather even with any creature. Okay, so it's not just that when you're alone, but rather the Sefer HaChinuch goes into it. Look, it could be with ones. I Listen, they weren't using this language then, but it could be with your chosen family, right? It could be with your pod, with your bubble. It could be with whomever, with the briot, as the Hebrew says here, had we had the time to do it. Um, it could be with whichever creatures you're sharing your Pesach Seder with. You can tell the story. Your responsibility is to tell the story. And Brandt, if you'll, it, yes, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying that it seems to me that that I'm still fascinated by the thing that if you if you uh, tell it, you'll have a son. Yeah, I, I'm not have, sure about to, no, but it has to be for some reason. In other words, yeah, it's great that you tell the story, but but the reward is that eventually you will be telling it to somebody else. See, that's that to me is the key. In other words, maybe not your particular son, but the reason why you tell this story to yourself is that eventually you will never always be alone. Well, some at some point you're going to be telling it to somebody else. Maybe, Brant, maybe. Let's have you read the second heart part and we'll say, oh, I, oh, that was very, that was, that was like Freudian of me. I said a different word. Read the second part and see if you, if you think that that's the only reason he thinks that's the case. Read the second half for a second. The content of the commandment. The content of the commandment is that one mentions the miracle and the related matters that happened to one to our forefathers during the exodus from Egypt and how the Almighty, may he be blessed, exacted our revenge from the Egyptians. And even one who is by himself, if no other person, no other people are present, is obligated to verbally express these matters so that his heart will be inspired in this matter, for the heart is inspired through verbal expression. So he, he says in the Hebrew, he has to express these things out of his mouth. So he says that he's, he's quoting the Rambam here. He loves to quote the Rambam in Sefer Achinuch. It's like the basis of his counting of the mitzvot and, and his recounting of these stories. And he says, it's the matter of 
Um, like Hitorari Hitorari from from uh, Dodi, awaken awakening awakening right wake up wake up. Um, he says the heart is awakened by storytelling, okay by 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 ex- by sending words out of your mouth. You wake up your heart when you tell the story when you actually do it. It wakes your heart up, and when you tell the story, it's like. You're back in it. It's it's like an awakening for yourself. And I agree with you, Brant. I I think that there's something about Jewish continuity there. I do think that there's something about keeping it fresh in mind. I think that probably the Orachayim really believes what he says when he says it. You know, I, I think he believes that there's something about you keep the story fresh in mind because someday you are going to tell it to your own children. But I also think that the Sefer Achinuch has something here. I think there's something about this idea that even if somebody were sitting all alone, um, you know, telling a story that it wakes them up. So I wanted to ask if there's anybody here who's ever had an experience like that of writing your story, telling your story, um, I don't know, recounting an experience for yourself um, that's really done something for you. It might have been in it might have been in therapy. It might have been in writing a book. It, I don't know. I was wondering if anybody here has ever had that experience or who's ever, maybe you've sat alone at a Seder and told the story. I, I'd love to hear that from you. That's why I rushed the last. Yeah, but I, I want to say that that as a result of, a, you know, during this COVID pandemic, I've been attending the Daily Minion on a pretty regular basis. And I hear a lot of mourners talk about their, their, the, tell the stories of the people that have influenced their lives. And I would definitely say that the heart is inspired through verbal expression. Yeah. And, and hearing people's stories about shoveling snow, the love of shoveling snow, or, you know, the, the, these things, I got to be candid that those are, those are when my ears pick up, perk up the most. And when I really pay attention and it does soften the heart to hear these stories. Yeah. Those are people's personal stories. Right. And the question is, what's the power, even if you were the only person in the room, and I'm inventing this experience, but... You are the only person in the room when you're on Zoom. Oh, Brand, that's deep, right? Even even if, and even when, you are the only person in the room. That's right. That's beautiful. Um, I see that Joanna has her hand up. I'd love to hear what you have to say, Joanna. So two things, just to connect to that idea when you're the only person in the room. I mean, it's not so much telling the story, but um, I live alone. And in this COVID-19 world, when we first started davening online, it sort of felt weird to daven out loud by myself. And I realized that if I wasn't doing the things that I always did out loud when I would be in shul in person, then it didn't really feel like davening. There was something to the verbal expression that connected to the heart, as that piece just said. And then specifically to your question just now, I had a very poignant experience last week. Um, last Shabbat, Parshat Shmot, um, a year ago was my nephew's bar mitzvah, and I wouldn't have known it at the time, but it was the last time that I saw my father alive. And, um, and then as 
It so happened, my father happens to be from a very interesting background and a shul in Toronto got wind of that. And they're like, oh, would you talk to your father? And would you talk about your father to our shul and tell his story? And I said, sure. And by coincidence, the date that was chosen was last Sunday. So on one and the same time, when I was really sort of deep in like mourning my father and missing him, it was very incredibly powerful to have the opportunity to share his story with a wider audience. Thank you for sharing it and sharing it the way that you did. Um, and and I want to reframe to close this to say, I, I really don't think that it's necessarily about the loneliness or the being alone. I want to go back to the concept as I placed it at the beginning, which is it's not necessarily about who the audience is for telling the story. It's recognizing that it's okay for the storytelling to be about you. It's okay for the storytelling to be for your sake. When we ask you, for example, as Brant was pointing out, to share the story about your loved one, we don't actually expect you to come up with a story that we'll enjoy on our end, right? We don't need that. I guess I should probably say that before I ask people to, to share their stories about their loved ones and frame it. We know that that storytelling is for the sake of the person who's sharing the memory. And on Pesach this year, when you tell the story, remember this. That it's not necessarily that you, we, we have a separate command that we should tell the story in such a way that it does land properly on the ears of each person who is, who is there and present and that we should teach each children according, uh, each child according to their ways. But here, remember too, that the telling of the story should be done in such a way that it awakens your heart. So if you have stories that are meaningful to you, whether it's about your father, whether it's about something really powerful, maybe painful even that happened to you, I encourage you to tell them, to write them, to go there in places that are things that will be that will be awakening to your own heart because that storytelling in and of itself is a part of our tradition and it's for you. So let's leave that there so that we have enough time. Oh, but I'm going to give the last word to Marshall Kramer, and then we're going to go to Mari. Go for it, Marshall. Uh, I just want to look at the last line there in the Hebrew in the Sefer HaChinuch. Uh, in the, in the, uh, yes. Which they're saying here so that his heart will be inspired about the matter. And then it repeats the word, Ki vadibur yit halev. And, uh, and actually, a copy I have of the Sefer Achinuch translation gives a different translation there for the word lehit orer, where it says, for by speech, the heart is aroused. Ooh. Not that it's inspired, but it's aroused. aroused. We know that we know this phrase from hit orere, hit orere. Exactly. Wake up, wake up. A hit orerut is waking up. So uh, from a place of slumber, when uh, the heart is, in fact, woken. That's right. Hitorari, hitorari. So maybe next week when we're doing Lechadodi, you'll think of this and think of what stories you can tell to wake up your sleeping heart. Beautiful. Just beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.